Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome Thursday edition of the program. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the ESPN Honolulu studio, sitting across from my man from the Honolulu Star Advertiser, Billy Hull. Last week it was Billy Hull Wednesday. <laughs> this week it's Billy Hull Thursday. Hey, look, we just kind of roll with it. This is a very fluid situation. Yeah, that whole Billy Hull Wednesdays thing lasted a really long time. <laughs> It was that good, huh? It was that good. I got, I got moved to Thursday a week That's later. Right. That's right. Very effective marketing <laughs> yeah, is when uh, you have that consistent message. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we appreciate you being here again, Billy. How's things going? Things are good, man. With the summer. The summer's kind of arrived. We, uh, you know, in, in my world, you know, big part of my life is high school sports. And we just, the season's over. The first full season in three years is done. We had the track and field thing uh, over the weekend. So summer's here my friend oh in, in other words uh i I'm, I'm reading between the lines here it is time for billy hull to tee it up exactly four yep <laughs> going uh i got about what 40 minutes after the show we got a tea time so let's get this going oh you have a tea time <laughs> 296-1420 is the number to call you can also text in any question and or comment obviously <laughs> we got to talk about this hey look this isn't necessarily a uh, full-on local story but of course there are ties it's college football it's all interconnected and hey look the espn marketing campaign speaking of marketing campaigns for the sec is the sec uh, it just means more uh, maybe they should change it to the sec they just whine more oh, because we goodness. have like a good old-fashioned like high school rivalry gossip type of back and forth going on between Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M and Nick Saban of Alabama. It started when Nick Saban basically complained that Texas A&M bought all of their talent due to these NIL rules. And uh, then Nick Saban inexplicably also complaining about a lack of parity in college football. Like you, Nick Saban, <laughs> you're going to complain about a lack of parity in college football. Uh, and so Jimbo Fisher, as you could understand, uh, he took exception to it. Now, the exact quote from Nick Saban, he told a group of local business leaders uh, at a particular forum. He said, uh, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, likeness we didn't buy one player all right but i don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it it's tough so first off before we play the jimbo fisher response your reaction to nick saban and some of that mess i mean can you believe the bubbles that these guys live in to not understand what's going on here i mean poor nick saban oh huh gosh. he finished second in the recruiting for the first time or whatever um it's unbelievable. I mean, this is almost like two 60-year-old babies having a little fight, you know, <laughs> over, like, who gets to eat ice cream or whatever. Like, this is I, – yeah. I, I, I was shocked by this whole thing. I'm not surprised the reaction, but I'm already someone who's been turned off by college football a lot in recent years with everything that's happened, and I think there's a lot of things you could fix about it. But, I mean, Nick Saban, cry me a river. Yeah, yeah. These two, like, 100 millionaire <laughs> type of, of figures in sports and, and the fact that they're now beefing over who has the better advantage. Nick Saban's like, this NIL thing, it totally screwed everything up because he owned it, right? He yeah. had the advantage, however he was accomplishing it. And now the NIL, which was the intent, sort of goes to maybe even the 
playing field, at least among those elite level universities. You do have a school like Jackson State and Deion Sanders, and they're pulling off some incredible recruiting maneuvers. But that's another program that Nick Saban yeah. called out by saying that they, you know, basically took advantage of this NIL situation in college sports and bought up their players, namely Travis Hunter. Remember the five-star prospect who decommitted from Florida State and then decided to play for Dion. So, yeah, Nick Saban slinging arrows, right? Uh, and Jimbo Fisher was having none of it. In fact, let's go ahead and uh, play some of Jimbo's reaction. First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ. More importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. And they broke state laws. They're, they're, they're all money. They're, we bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. Yeah, so that was Jimbo Fisher's response. That was the, the despicable quote, right, where he just was taking offense. That was more the defensive tactic against the comments of Nick Saban. Uh, but then Jimbo Fisher, who, of course, has a relationship with Nick Saban, they have feigned friendship and respect over the years. But I think this obviously shines a light on the fact that that was absolute BS because listen to what Jimbo Fisher then said when he went on the offensive against Nick Saban. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. It really is. And it's a shame we have to sit up here and have this conversation about things we do. And it's and it personal to us? Yes, it is. It's personal to A&M. It's personal to our players. It's personal to our coaches and everybody involved. And I know the guy. know him really well. All right, so there it is. I mean, this is uh, the the gloves are off. Ooh. These are these are these are two fighters <laughs> in the center of the cage that are just exchanging blows here now. Uh, Nick Saban did address this and and said that it was perhaps not uh, smart to single out Texas A&M and Jackson State. He at least gave that much. Not exactly a full uh, apology or anything like that uh, on the part of Nick Saban. So, so this is out there. This is obviously just going to add to the heat of this matchup, Texas A&M and Alabama. You know, it'll raise the temperature in the SEC. College football fans are just going to eat this up. We'll be talking about this. Uh, ESPN and Fox and all, they'll be talking about this for months and months to come all the way up to college football season. Uh, but how does this hit you like what is it about this exchange and sort of what they are they're hitting upon as far as the dynamic in college football that strikes you yeah it's a great question because i mean i'm sure in the south in sec land this is just going to be now this huge thing that everyone talks about like you mentioned leading up to the game it's going to be a big time deal but i think for someone like me out on the on the west side on the west coast as someone you know who grew up a, a fan of the pac-12 is a fan of the pac-12 um, you know, covering the University of Hawaii, covering mid-majors and stuff. This is really just a total kind of eclipses everything about college football that has really turned into this, you know, SEC versus everyone else. And for everyone else on the outside, it's a total joke. I mean, yeah. you're looking at two guys. You're looking at Nick Saban. Like, you might want to be a little careful about throwing stones. What's the... You know that saying that, you know... Glass houses? Yeah, exactly. Something like that, whatever. But uh, I'm not a writer or anything. No, <laughs> what do you no. do for a living? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, like, I'd, I'd be really careful, you know, like, especially now, if some of these things come out of the closet, it, it could be a little bit of a big deal. But I think in, in the world we're in, and I think this kind of shows it, I think we're so far removed from... Yeah. 
anything happening of guys getting in trouble for whatever tactics they've done recruiting in the past. I mean, you know, every, everything, everything's out there on the table now. This is the world of college football. This is the way it's going to go. Um, you know, they started this NIL thing, and I think they kind of opened the door without really knowing exactly how it was going to work, and now it's just a total free-for-all. And, and this is where college football is, and this is where if you're in the South, if you're in the SEC, you love it. But I think a lot of the schools on the rest of the country, a lot of the people that are left out, it's just – you almost just kind of look at this and just laughing at how ridiculous it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you had Saban on Wednesday saying that Alabama players made $3 million, quote, doing it the right way last season, that only 25 players were able to leverage NIL opportunities. This is also the guy who right after the NIL decision was made and basically all of the restrictions were pulled off of these student athletes to be able to cash in on name, image, and likeness, uh, he was one of the first to say, Bryce Young, right. uh, he has a million-dollar NIL deal. Like He went out there, he promoted that, he sounded the alarm on that, uh, and, and doing so in a way to further attract recruits uh, to, to see that that revenue stream potential, that earning potential. So uh, there's just so much hypocrisy here. The, the level of tone deafness, yeah. right? This, this lack of, of self-awareness. I mean, it is just unbelievable. And, and to be honest, it is insulting, really, to the rest of college football fandom because we saw this coming, right? We've seen the, all the signs pointing towards this super conference and, and the, the haves uh, versus the have-nots and the haves just continuing to tweak the system and the mechanism to further benefit them as opposed to trying to find ways to bring up the rest, right, to, to, to bring up the non-Power 5 schools with them. There was no interest in doing that. Uh, if there was a decision made, I, I, I always harp on this. You look back in, like, the late 70s, early 80s, to me that was a healthy time in college football. Uh, you had coaches who weren't making an obscene amount of money, at least by comparison to other coaches. Uh, you had student-athletes who weren't making a different level of scholarship and earning and stipend checks, at least not that much of a difference from institution to institution. It felt like, okay, this is something where you could have a team like BYU that was not a power five conference school that could win a national championship. You could be competitive even if you were a quote-unquote mid-major. Uh, but that started to change, and it changed so drastically with these huge coaching salaries, this nuclear level arms race that college football became, and they just left the rest of the bunch talking about the haves they just left the rest of them out in the dust and had there been an effort at revenue sharing had there been an effort to like limit coaching contracts so that you didn't have this huge capitalistic bubble that was surrounding what was supposed to be this intended uh, amateurism uh, dynamic and mechanism within all of that like if 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 you were able to somehow thwart that evolution you know we could be in such a better place overall in in college football and you're right it's kind of a turnoff man for for all yeah. of us who are who are rooting on you know the rainbow warriors and the like exactly and, and that's the thing if you when you look at the playoff every year and hey if you're a fan of clemson if you're a fan of alabama if you're a fan of oklahoma this has all been great right you're in the, the college football playoff every year but if you're not you just are watching the same five or six programs year after year after year doing this and you know knowing like you know i, I follow west coast and you look at west coast recruiting now and in the last five years I mean, tell me about a shift. All the top players in the West would used to go to, you know, USC's and Oregon's and Washington's and stuff like that. 
they're all going to the SEC. I wonder why. I wonder, like, all of a sudden, wow, what's so interesting about their down going on down there in the <laughs> South? What could it possibly be? And you've just seen this kind of switch happen, and, you know, you, you look at it now, and, and it's, you know, like I said, it's the haves and have-nots. And for us, you know, for, for me, for, I don't know, maybe you, when you're not in, in that bubble, you look at Nick Saban, basically who's had everything go his way. Everything is perfect. He's had college football the exact way he wants it. It's allowed him to be successful. Well, this NIL thing's threatened him just a little bit, and this is kind of, I think, the reaction to that, as I think suddenly it's not exactly the way he wants it anymore, and now big, big, big Nick kind of getting a little little cranky. Yeah, big, bad Nick Saban, who yeah. was benefiting from all of the advantages previously, yeah. and now all of a sudden other guys are, are, are trying to take swipes at his throne, uh, and, you know, it's not happening quite as easily, maybe, and he's over there kicking and screaming <laughs> like a little toddler. Like, that's incredible to me. You have also this week that decision, the Division One Council waiving initial counter scholarship limits for two years within Division One football. Basically, uh, previously, there was a 25 scholarship per year limit that a program could pass out uh, because of the transfer portal that they tweaked that rule to where you could go as many as seven scholarships beyond that but this division one council basically saying hey look because the transfer portal is is so difficult to navigate for so many programs they're just going to wipe away uh, that maximum number that limit uh, and so from year to year at least for the next two years programs can offer as many scholarships as they want to up to the 85 total scholarships that programs uh, are allowed to have. Yeah, I think that's good for, um, you know, there's obviously some schools out there. I mean, you look at the University of Hawaii a little bit where there's been kind of an exodus of players when you have coaching changes and, and kids want to go somewhere else. I think there's probably some schools that you've seen have really, really been hit by the transfer portal and are really struggling uh, to kind of build these things back up. So to allow them to maybe bring in, as long as you keep the number at 85, the overall number, you know, I think it's a great way to kind of allow some of these schools that have really been hit hard by the transfer portal a uh, chance to kind of rebuild their schools and, and, and get back to that level and, and get back and be competitive whatever conferences they're in yeah are you uh, we have about a minute here before we got to take a break uh, are you a fan of the nil or, or at least you know where it's at currently well I, i'm just such a i've i thought for me college football has been kind of almost ruined for the last 10 years like it's kind of been on this thing that the nil is just kind of the next thing and this yeah. long thing that we've kind of kind of ruined the sport man yeah and, you know it's fun when you can grow up in any part of the country and feel like your team in that area has a chance to win the national championship but now you can live in like five or six places in the country. You have a chance, and that's it. And that that's not that's not good. And that's the only sport. In yeah. theory, in every other NCAA intercollegiate sport, in theory at least, every team is on that same starting line, right, with the, the same opportunity to go on and win a national championship. There is at least that avenue that is in existence. The only sport where that doesn't exist is in college football. And it feels like, wow, that's so self-sabotaging. That's yeah. so self-defeating. Uh, and that is a sad thing. And the NAL thing, it's clunky. It's messy. Uh, they got to try to streamline it and figure it out here. Uh, the NCAA sort of washed its hands of it. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. It's it's a, it's a an evolution and a work in progress for sure. We have Navai Kalpe of the Rainbow Ahine softball team joining us later on in the show. We'll be back after this PGA Championship update coming up. All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Thursday edition of the program coming to you on ESPN Honolulu, 1420 AM, 92.7 FM. Kanoa Leahy here in the studio alongside Billy Hull of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. We just continue to lament how difficult life is for Nick Saban. Um, <laughs> baby's been painted into a corner, and uh, hey, look, we can understand why he would lash out like this. Yeah, I'm sure it's very tough for him to wake up today. It's been really hard in his nine-bedroom mansion, whatever. <laughs> Times are hard. Maybe, you know what? Nick Saban deserves a raise, putting up with all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, exactly. This is not yeah. what he signed no, up no, for, no. folks. 
Uh, all right. Well, uh, as we like to do, we like to kind of vary it up with uh, a couple of uh, different sports talk radio friendly games. And so we're going to do that uh, with a little segment we like to call What's Up With That? Keegan Olta working the board. You want to take us through it? Sure. All right. So number one, Patrick Beverly continuing to run his mouth. He has appeared <laughs> on all week on ESPN shows and took a blowtorch. Basically to everyone, ranging from Chris Paul to Jason Tatum. What's up with that? Yeah, what's up with that? First off, ESPN has Patrick Beverly like all over the place, like on all the morning shows. He's on First Take, Get Up, all that stuff. Um, and he is just unloading on people. Chris Paul, he called him a cone. Chris Paul, the nine-time all-defensive team yeah. selection. Jason Tatum, I guess there was a comparison with uh, he and J.J. Redick were talking about comparing Jason Tatum to Jimmy Butler, one of those who-you-got kind of things. And he suggested that Jason Tatum wasn't a two-way player. Jason Tatum just played the best defense I've ever seen played against Kevin Durant in my life in the last you know earlier in these playoffs and so um i'm not sure what pat bev is doing here i'm not sure what the draw is espn's just kind of falling on the idea of like let's just create some clickbait and some controversy and uh that's about as far as it goes what's up with that billy yeah at the risk of um hating on espn on the espn honolulu radio station <laughs> channel um no i i I, it's just one of those things where, you know, we know why Pat Beverly's on here, right? Because he's this guy that you watch him out there and he's this ornery guy that gets in everyone's faces who's, I think, a dirty player. I have no problem calling him a dirty player. But he's a guy that's going to do the clickbait thing, that's going to say the crazy thing to get everyone riled up. And, you know, that's unfortunately, you know, the way a lot of this um, sports programming is going these days is just to get the loudest guy on there that says the craziest things that gets everyone uh, all upset. But for me, I don't really... I don't know why you would put Jason, uh, put Pat Beverly on there, man. I mean, this guy, you know, he's just, he's a dirty player. You know, I don't like amplifying him and giving him an opportunity to come out. And it's not like he's breaking down games and trying yeah. to give you insights. He's just out there, you know, disrespecting Chris Paul. It was a total disrespect move. There was nothing interesting about it. There's nothing insightful about it. It's just have a guy on here to, to disrespect Chris Paul. Chris Paul, and it just, I didn't, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, he's clearly holding a grudge, and, yeah. and he just was given the opportunity to sort of uh, unload the clip on all of that, so to speak. Um, and I agree with you. You know, I think that's that's kind of become the thing. It's it's become the grift, right? I mean, can we honestly say that Stephen A. Smith, like half of what he says is genuine? I mean, of course not. It is part of the game. It is part of the strategy to create popularity and controversy, and thus turn that into money exactly like that, that's what has transpired here and so uh, i guess that would be the question like when you look at draymond green his appearances on tnt when you look at pat beverly his appearances this week on espn like uh, are, do they mean what they say is this all an act would you suggest well i think draymond maybe started a little more that way but he's really kind of coming to his own and i think the, the great comparing espn to tnt i mean inside the nba you watch charles barkley and and Shaquille O'Neal and Kenny Smith. And, yeah, you might disagree sometimes with what they're saying, but those guys believe what they're saying. They're, those guys are out there really believing and, and going back and forth and, and, and trying to do something. I mean, this goes back to – I mean, let's be honest. Skip Bayless is the guy that really started this whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. he, this is the guy that kind of the began godfather. this The godfather. Exactly, that kind of began this whole trend. But, yeah, I just don't like giving certain players um, – allowing them, giving them a headspace to be on TV and amplifying their already kind of negative um, aspect. You know, I, I've just, I've never been, a, I think Pat Beverly is the dirtiest player I've ever seen play in the NBA. I've never liked him. Wow. I, think, I think he's gotten away with a lot of stuff um, over his career. And, and then just, so then it had to turn around and see him being on ESPN. And just, like I said, it's not, it's not the insight. It's, it's the just blatant yeah. disrespect on national television of Chris Paul. That's the only reason he was on there. And, 
and it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Shouts to Matt Barnes, who actually yes. clapped back at Pat Beverly and, and said, hey, look, you're not that guy. And the best was was he qualified as saying, I'm not that guy either. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, yeah, we're exactly. role players. They're not mentioning our names in a couple of decades from now. Right. No, I, exactly. I he that. was great. I loved it. And just to be able to kind of take a little shot of yourself, you know, some self-deprecating humor. I, I, I like that in guys. Yeah. Well, that's why you can trust that, you know, unlike those guys and Stephen A and, and all and, and Skip Bayless, th those uh, elements of this industry, we're always going to speak from the heart and be genuine, which is why uh, we're also probably going to be broke. All right. Next one. <laughs> what is it, Keegan? All right. Well, you guys were speaking about money. And if you put any money on the Mavericks yesterday, Ooh. you probably lost it because they lost by 25, including... How about this stat? 11 for 48 beyond the arc. That ain't great. So the Mavericks get smashed by Golden State. What's up with that? Yeah, I, I didn't expect that. I mean, I thought Golden State's the better team, and, and I do think that they have more weapons, and, and just just they seem to be, you know, back to Golden State Warrior ways. Uh, but that said, I, I thought the Mavs were getting pretty good looks. They were chucking it from three, but it's not like they weren't open looks. They just weren't able to hit. And, you know, once you allow the Warriors to play through a little bit of early coldness for Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, and then they start getting it going, forget about it. It's over. So uh, it wasn't necessarily a surprise that game one went the way of the Warriors. I, I was a bit surprised that it was such a crushing blowout. Yeah, and I, I well, it's funny because I kind of look at both series, and you look at the two teams that were coming off seven-game series, right? You had Boston, who actually looked good in the first half against Miami, but then, you know, Miami just took it to him the second half, and I think there's a little bit of fatigue there. I kind of, even though Game 7 against Phoenix was a total blowout uh, for the Mavs, I still always worry about coming right back and starting that next series like two days later. So I wouldn't, I to be honest, I wouldn't count out the Mavs just yet because uh, Luka is a bad <laughs> man. Bad man. Dude, man. You don't see him play kind of the way, I mean, he still had put up good numbers, but it just wasn't your normal Luka game. Watch out for Luka in game two. I'm telling you, man, this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's got, like, now a scar on his face. You know, he was reaching for that shoulder that looked like it was bothering him a little bit. So, yeah, that wasn't the typical Luka game. I do expect him to start kind of putting it together and, and calibrating a little bit. But, uh, you know, this is a Mavs team that's going to have to hit those shots, right? Yeah. Bullock and, and Finney Smith and uh, certainly Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie like, they're right. going to have to shoot well in order to space the floor enough to let Luka do his thing. I kind of would like to see Luka maybe get the ball in the mid post area a little bit more as opposed to always facing up but i mean what do i know yeah well yeah also it's <laughs> i'm not pat Beth no 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 yeah, yeah exactly but uh, i'm just telling you luca you talk about making money i don't know what the over on luca points is in game two but just you know <laughs> just a thought He's going for 50. <laughs> All right, speaking of big uh, scoring games, Keegan, take us through our next one. All right, well, tonight is game two of the Eastern Conference Finals, but go back to game number one where Jimmy Butler decides to play out of his <laughs> mind. 27 of 41 points. Yeah, he scored in the second half. So, yeah, over 40 points in game number one. What's up with that? Yeah, what's up with that? I, I think Jimmy Butler in his time with the Heat has five 40-point games, and all of them have come in the playoffs uh, I think he's gone over 43 times now in these playoffs alone. Uh, the reason why this is a what's up with that is why don't we give Jimmy Butler more of that elite level love? Why is he not seemingly in that conversation? Because when it's push come to shove time, money time in the playoffs, it seems to be when he brings out his best. Yeah, that's a great point. I think the whole Miami team and kind of franchise in general, I mean, think about what they had to overcome. I mean, we all know the history of LeBron James. When he leaves your uh, program, he just completely goes up in flames. But, you know, Pat Riley and, and the people running that organization have put, you know, have gotten back in there. You know, they were in the, in the finals two years ago, and then they're back again. And 
Jimmy Butler's just a guy where it's almost like the regular season. He's kind of done the, you know, just get to the get to the playoffs where I really show my stuff. And he's been, I think, about as good as anyone has been in these entire playoffs. I mean, we talk about Luca, obviously Steph and KD and all these other guys, but Jimmy Butler in these playoffs has been as efficient, I think, as anybody is. He's been leading that team and. You know, nobody's really talking about the Miami Heat, but they're yeah. the one seed in the East, and they, they look, you know, it's going to be a tough series for the Celtics. Yeah, you know, obviously the Celtics were missing Hawford and Smart, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think Jimmy Butler was in the same. He's going to be that level of shot maker in addition to just his overall tenacity, his defense. The guy got to the line, what, 18, 18 times? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. If, if they're going to blow the whistle in that fashion, if he's going to get to the free throw line, that's almost a wrap because uh, despite some of the uh, differences in the way the NBA was officiated when it comes to some of the foul calls this season, Jimmy Butler has still, unlike James Harden, has still been able to find a way to repeatedly get to the free throw line. Yeah, he has, and, and, and they really, you know, they, they play such good defense. You know, Miami, they're a really good defensive team, and so if they can have that guy and Jimmy Butler be the guy down the stretch to be the crunch time guy, because I think for them it's always going to come down to getting buckets down the, in, the, in the last six minutes of the fourth quarter to win games. If he can be that guy, Miami has, Miami's got a shot to do this. Did you hear Shaq and Charles just, like, laying into each other oh. last night? They were I, arguing about uh, Jimmy Butler because Shaq said uh, it doesn't matter who is guarding him because Marcus Smart is likely going to be the guy that's the primary defender on him. said it wouldn't matter if, if Marcus Smart was out there. Jimmy was going to get his 40. Charles is saying it's going to be harder with the defensive player of the year. And then Shaq starts talking about how he was dunking on Dikembe Mutombo yeah. back in the day. And they just started going at it. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's why we watch, though. I mean, that's why we watch them. But, yeah, I was, for Shaq, it always comes back to, like, oh, but I did this. Yeah. I yeah. Good enough to, you know what I mean? But come on. It, obviously, are you gonna have are you gonna be able to score more points against a regular guy or the defensive player in the air? I mean, this is this is Yeah. No one's suggesting that Marcus Smart's gonna shut him down, no, but no. he'll make it like a little bit more difficult yeah. than um, you know, Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <I would> think. <laughs> exactly. But uh no, yeah, I, I I'm I'm fascinated by this series. I um I thought Boston to me is the team that I think when it got down to the final four, I like Boston to win it all, but man, just watching Miami and the way yeah, I didn't expect, I thought Miami would win game one, but dude, the way Miami just crushed the Celtics in that third quarter, that's, that was unreal. Yeah. That, that's a little frightening for the Celtics. All right. But the Celtics do get a couple of those guys back, yeah. which what, what, what are their names? Schmott, uh, Schmott, and Hawford. Hawford and Schmott. All right, what's our last one, Keegan? All right, so the GOAT of football, otherwise known as Tom Brady, will be on a GROAT, otherwise known as the greatest roast of all time in yeah. series on Netflix. And, in fact, Tom Brady will serve as an executive producer on his own roast so guys what's up with that yeah what's up with that like how do you how do you make fun of tom brady like what, what what's the material here like well man you're too good looking and you yeah. live a lavish life with a supermodel wife and a beautiful family and you're the most successful football player ever burned you yeah. like how, what do you do there i have no idea but i have to say i am enjoying this uh tampa tom brady uh this kind of new game tequila out there. tom yeah tequila tom <laughs> tiktok tom i don't know if you've seen some of the, to the tiktoks he's done um tom brady is enjoying life i love it you know i i, I of course you know grew not to like him and the patriots and i was just a patriots hater but i love this new tom brady i feel like ever since he got really drunk in the uh, tampa parade on the boat i think like it's like woken him up to this new life but he's great man when he was tossing around the lombardi yeah. trophy yeah. yeah you know when you win a lot of them you, yeah. you, you feel better about just throwing them around over yeah. the water you can you know lose I mean? one into the uh, into the ocean right if you've got seven of them yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if he's going to be sort of the, the canary in the coal mine for this series, what other sports figures would you like to see roasted if you had to come up with like a top two or three? 
Oh, I mean, pick anyone from inside the NBA, right? Shaq, <laughs> Charles, pick any of those guys. Draymond, you know, pick any of those oh, guys. Oh, Draymond has to be yeah. roasted. Yeah, he, he has to be roasted. Yeah. I, I want to see. I would like to see Russell Wilson get roasted just to see how awkward it gets. Because <laughs> I feel like that would be one of the most awkward roasts ever. And, you know, the best part was, you know, how the roastee always ends up being the final roaster and tries, to, you know, is given the opportunity to get everybody back. Russell Wilson oh. will be the most awkward <laughs> and probably least funny roastee at the end. Uh, I just, I just, can't, no. I just can't see him delivering any no. of those. No. burns i just can't do it no 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 that would be very weird <laughs> so let's do it let's see it yeah yeah we're gonna do it yeah. all right yeah we should produce our own roast i guess so. too bad we have no capital yeah. because we haven't been controversial enough on the radio to make oh, enough yeah. money to anyway yeah. it all comes back full circle all right we're here uh it is billy hall thursday here on let's talk sports we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to be joined by rainbow wahine softball standout navai kalpe off of her recently being named big west conference defensive player of the year we're going to talk story with the former washington husky and rainbow wahine softball star that's coming up you're listening to let's talk sports What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. This is the Thursday edition of the program. Kanoa Leahy here in studio at ESPN Honolulu. Also sitting across Billy Hall of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And very excited to talk with our guest for this Thursday edition of the show. Uh, she is a standout for the Rainbow Wahine softball team. Started her career with the Washington Huskies before matriculating back to Manoa. And boy, has she left a stamp. An all-Big West Conference first-team uh, selection as well as Conference Defensive Player of the Year. One of several Rainbow Wahine players to be recognized by the Big West. Navai Kalpe joins us via the phone line. What's up, Navai? How's it going? Aloha, Michael. Cool. Thank you. Oh, it's Thank so, so it's so great to have you. Uh, you are absolutely one of my favorite uh, rainbow athletes, uh, for sure. Uh, you have brought such an energy to this uh, program and, and, and this department overall. Uh, how did it strike you just hearing the news that, that you got a little wreck here uh, in the aftermath <laughs> of the season? Honestly, it was, like, shocking. I honestly thought I made so much errors. So I was like, oh, whatever. I, I think... That's what made me um, not stand out, but I was able to play more freely because I thought I made too much errors, you know? So I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And at the end of the season, I was like, oh, man. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I'll take it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it definitely will. I mean, uh, obviously, you're the first uh, since uh, then Kelly Majum, now Kelly Elms, who was recognized in this way by the conference. Uh, and so you're going to be remembered. Uh, you have left a stamp. Uh, I, I know that that's not necessarily the way student athletes think uh, when they enter a program uh, or they transfer to a program. You just you just kind of want to get an opportunity to do your thing. But uh, now that you have kind of left that stamp, uh, does does that have any uh, perspective with you? Uh, definitely. You know, thank you for Kelly Majum of obviously opening doors for us, especially Hawaii. But um, I wouldn't have done this. This wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for my teammates of getting on base, you know, and for me to be having a high percentage of slugging percentage and making double plays, you know, that what we did, we made history, you know, and um, I think that was just such a cool experience, not personally, but collectively as a team. Hey, Navai, Billy Hull here. Hey, I wanted to ask you, um, you look back on the last five years, you started at the University of Washington, you get to come home, you go through a pandemic. Just what are the what are the memories or what are the things that just stands out to you about your last five years, your college career, and just everything you've been through? I definitely got more, 
more appreciative of where I came from, obviously Hawaii. And every time I, I left home to, you know, go train at UW, I, I, something was missing, you know, something part of me was missing. And when I came back home, I, I was like, okay, I got to do something not only for myself, but for these local girls and this team, this team Hawaii. So, you know, I try to give them all my experiences of, you know, as a top, I think they're like top three, four when I was my, it was my freshman, sophomore year, collegiate year. And I, I wanted to share my, all my stories, my experiences that I had at the World Series and just my Pac-12 mentality and bring it here in the Big West. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the College World Series, and you got to play it a couple of years. Um, you know, what 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 was special uh, about those games, and just what was it like being able to play on on that big stage of of college softball? I actually had only one appearance, and that was my at bat. I think I was pinch hitter at that time. It was against Oklahoma, and it was my freshman year, and <laughs> I was pretty much taught how to hit differently one hour before our game and it was basically yeah so I had to like kind of stand very close my feet was very close together and I had to kind of um, hit my way you know it's kind of like a, a timely hitting and my first at bat I actually hit one up the middle and I got on bag. It was my, it was a single. And I don't know, it just felt, it didn't feel as thrilling as I thought it would be, <laughs> yeah. you know? But, like, but I just thought it was pretty cool, you know? And they saw an athlete that could do many things. And I didn't trust that until, you know, they told me to stand on one leg. And so, you know, in the World Series. So um, I, I definitely thought that was kind of humbling, you know? And... Um, I think my favorite experience out of everything in the World Series would be my dad actually chugging this chocolate milk. He was facing um, some other um, parent in the, um, I forget who we were, I think it was Florida State. I think that time we were challenging Florida State. And he won. I was like, oh, wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> he really <laughs> um, cherished at the moment. So. Wow, chocolate milk, huh? Is that a is that a family thing? Uh, growing up drinking, that's that's interesting. Does but he I... chug other beverages? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so funny is that um, <laughs> he he actually switched the drink. It was actually like the regular like milk, like white milk. Oh. And he was like, "Ah, oh, you guys got like chocolate milk instead," and so they had to bring him chocolate milk just for him to win, just for for him to win. Uh, what's it called? That chocolate milk chug race or whatever oh, man. <laughs> yeah he just loves chocolate milk and <laughs> well i guess we know where your competitiveness comes from because yeah. even in a milk chugging contest your dad is still looking for an edge <laughs> uh, no joke yeah i mean that's that's everybody in my family honestly even my mom my mom has a competitive spirit as well oh that's so cool hey, um speaking of your family and growing up i know you know a very athletic family and I think I was reading something. You played a lot of sports, but if you didn't go down the softball path, what was was there another sport? What would have been the other sport of your choice that you think you maybe could have done well at? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, 
honestly, not going to lie, baseball and softball has always been a part um, of my life. And <laughs> I did volleyball, like, high school mm-hmm. for a little while. But, I mean, I was fast enough. But, you know, there was, like, balls that would, like, go out of bounds. Or I don't even see. I don't even know the terms, you know. And I was <laughs> I would really dive for, like, you know, those kind of balls. And they're like, no, just let it go. I'm like, oh, well, sorry. Like, you know, it's a, it's a um, instinct. I can't just let it go. Like, <laughs> but honestly, you know, volleyball would be good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that whatever you uh, yeah. you decided to, to put your attention and efforts to, you would have uh, been pretty decent at, that's for sure. We're talking with Navai Kalpe, Rainbow Wahine softball shortstop, uh, honored as the Big West Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, what's next for you here? Uh, what, what's, what's sort of around the corner? Uh, what do you now focus your sights on at this stage of your career in life? Yeah, so um, me and my teammate, when I was just there, Anna Kili'inoi, we are going to try out for the Philippines team and represent Hawaii that way. Um, The tryouts are June 4th to 5th, I believe, and we will have an immediate callback if we made the roster or not. Oh, that's terrific. How did that come about? Like, What sparked that conversation? It was a DM, yeah. um, The Philippines softball um, account, actually reached out to me. They slid into your DMs? Um, yeah, they slid into my DMs. <laughs> Haven't gotten that in a while. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Um, yeah, so Tesca is one of the um, key uh, figures for that team, and she reached out to me and was like, oh, hey, are you interested in playing? Like, you know, after you leave college and stuff and I was like oh yeah great because I had no idea what I was gonna do after college so I was like oh here's another excuse for me to you know do something <laughs> but um yeah and I actually asked Kai and I said hey Anna you want to come with me like I think this would be a great opportunity not only for me but for you and to open door open more doors for Hawaii kids who has uh, uh Filipino in them you know and actually Skyland Elizares, I think she's a uh, what's called. I think she's been there for a while now. Actually, she's also a Maui grown. Um, but yeah, I just love to see Hawaii athletes do well um, in a higher, higher, you know, division. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm glad to hear that that you are not done with the game. That there is still a, a lot of softball in in front of you. Uh, I think that that's terrific uh, because you are an incredible talent. There's no denying that. From Wailuku Maui to Maui High to U Dub to the University of Hawaii, uh, and and decorated all the way along the way. Navai, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure talking story with you, and uh, we wish you the best. Oh, thank you. Going forward. Um, mahalo, mahalo. All right. Take care. Thanks, Navai. Navai Kaupe, how awesome is she, huh? Oh, and not just because she went to my uh, alma mater for a couple of years. But, uh, no, I remember, it's funny, I was covering the softball tournament, and she's she's great. So, yeah, uh, good to see her doing well. Yeah, we're up against the break, so uh, Billy wasn't aware of it, <laughs> so we had to cut the story short. We'll get a chance on the other side. 
All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Canola, he's sitting across Billy Hall of the Honolulu Star Advertiser coming to you on this Thursday from the ESPN Honolulu Studios. We cut you off, Billy, because we had to go to that PGA Championship update, but uh, just allowing you to finish your thought after we uh, talked with Navai Kalpe, who, by the way, we really uh, thank for uh, her time in that last segment. Yeah, it was cool to talk to her. No, I was just going to say that um, I remember her senior year at Maui. They came over for the state tournament, and our good friend Rob Coleus on the Maui News was telling me, oh, she's going to UW, and, you know, he knows I'm a UW guy. And, um, they were the first game of that tournament, and she comes up, and she absolutely crushed the ball. And we've seen some balls hit in that stadium, but this this home run was was right up there with it. And I just remember thinking, wow, she's going to be incredible. And so to see her play at UW and then to come home and, and do her thing here, it's, it's, it's a really cool story. So it was cool to talk to her. Which makes it all the more head-scratching that she told the story of when she was in the College World Series <laughs> and the day of the game, they're tweaking her tweaking, batting yeah. stance. What are you guys doing? I meant to ask her, is that normal? Is that like, <laughs> Does that happen? That seems crazy. I think that's probably maybe when the wheels started turning of uh, potentially transferring back home. But, that, that would make sense. But she said she still got a hit, which like, yeah. good. I mean, yeah. that tells you all you know You're about right her. about that family, man. The, yeah. the Cowpays, they, they can ball. There's no doubt about her brother, Brandon, who was drafted as well. All right, um, 296-1420 is the number to call. We like to end the show with our best and worst. Billy, uh, did you come with the best here? I came with the best, just uh, watching a little golf. The PGA Championship kicked off today. Rory McIlroy, we haven't seen him win a major here in a long time. Getting off to a nice start, I think. Four birdies and four holes, a little stretch there. Uh, five under, he's got the lead after the first round. Rory McIlroy might be Rory time again. You are on the golf tip <laughs> right now. You're about to go golfing. I think you're golfing with BMAC, Brian McInnes, who's supposed to be on the show tomorrow. Yeah. What kind of mood do you think BMAC's going to be in post-golf round tomorrow when he comes in? Oh, I think, uh, well, it depends what kind of round it is today. Is it going to be a nice relaxing round? Are we going to focus on golf? Are we going to engage in a, in a few uh, uh, beverages? Uh, I think it just matters how today goes. But. I mean, that, what kind of question is that? It's golf. It's all <laughs> yeah. of the above. It's all of the above. Yeah. All right, uh, my best, uh, I, I don't know if you saw this story, but it came out that there was a collective bargaining agreement now in place uh, with the U.S. Soccer uh, Association that will provide equal pay uh, under this collectively bargained agreement for both the men's and women's players. It has been a hot-button issue. Uh, there's been a lot of debate as to who deserves what, and I think in the end, hey, look, uh, the women's team is the jewel of U.S. national soccer. There's no denying that. You can talk about revenue generation and all that stuff, the Wall Street Journal had a story a couple of years ago between 2016 and 2019. They actually out-earned the men in terms of revenue. It depends on some of the ways you break it down. Uh, but obviously, there's more overall money on the men's side when it comes to World Cup and international play. But that's not really what the conversation is about. It's about compensation. And so uh, happy to see that there is equal play. And, and you have... Uh, just about every member of the men's team very much behind this, at least publicly, very much behind this effort to provide equal pay. So I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that is. And look, if there's any um, group of women that have put their team or, or whatever they play for in this position, it's it's the United States women's soccer team and everything they've done and the dominance they've had and all the, all the sponsorships they've gotten and everything. They are legitimately on that level and they deserve to be paid they're that superstars, way. Yeah, they're right? superstars. They are. You know, we, we we know their names. You know, I, 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 I could I, probably name more. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can name more more on the a women's national team than I could the men's national team. I was about to say that. All yeah. right, go ahead. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your worst, Billy? 
Uh, my worst, I felt really bad about seeing uh, Max Scherzer uh, having to come out of a game. It sounds like he's going to be out six to eight weeks. I had just watched him pitch against the Mariners and that whole uh, Mets team. I mean, I thought the, 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 their, their lineup, their approach at the plate, I saw him going out there just, I mean, he's such a workhorse on the mound. Uh, really impressed by him. And I came away from watching them because they played my Mariners, obviously, so I watch it. But I thought the Mets, they look tremendous. So to see them get hurt with DeGrom out now, I mean, they, they were, you know, we'll see. I mean, six, eight Stop weeks. Stop using past tense. You know that's my favorite team, right? <laughs> yeah, I do know, actually. But, uh, yeah, tough to see him out there for two months. Yeah, man, because <sighs> it, it was sort of like this thing where the Mets are off to this hot start, and it wasn't even Jake DeGrom because he hasn't pitched yet. Matt Scherzer, who was also injured to start the year, but, you know, came back, looked like he was back to form. They had these other pitchers who are all of a sudden dealing lights out. Their lineup is smashing bombs. <sighs> Pete Alonso hits another game-winning bomb, like a blasty <laughs> blast today in extra innings. Uh, for the Mets and so yeah it's kind of like it's very bittersweet because as Mets fans there's a little paranoia there right you start to adopt a little bit of that um, fatalist mentality and uh, and yet here they are they're, they're winning some games but the bad news that Max Scherzer with that oblique strain is going to be out six to eight weeks so that's a bummer so you actually did a worst that could have been my worst <laughs> as well but instead my worst uh, hadn't talked about this it's a few days old but I got to get to it just because you know the the, the timeliness of it Greg Norman's comments regarding the controversy behind the LIV gold, uh, Golf Invitational Series. Uh, he is operating as the CEO of the organization. Uh, it just came out this week that Jack Nicklaus was offered $100 million uh, to, to basically operate in that same position, but he turned it down. The Shark has received backlash over comments made referring to the Saudi Arabian monarchy's alleged involvement in the death of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi as a, quote, mistake. He was basically saying, hey, look, from what I heard and what you guys reported, you just take ownership of what it is take ownership no matter what it is look we've all made mistakes and you just want to learn from those mistakes and how you can correct them going forward uh, norman was asked about Sa uh, saudi crown prince mohammed bin salman's alleged complicity in the 2018 killing of khashoggi who is an american citizen liv golf is being financed by saudi arabia's public investment fund which is controlled by bin salman and so there are a lot of interconnected parts here and for greg norman to sort of brush it off like oh man we all make mistakes but oh well let's uh, golf and make some money it's kind of blood money here and that's why phil mickelson has been raked over the and why he's not defending his PGA championship here this week. Uh, Greg Norman very much, uh, even beyond a Saban level, lack of, of clarity and, and lack of self-awareness. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy what money do. It, it's crazy the decisions people will make based on money. But uh, going to be really interesting to see the, the group of people that end up, if, if this really ends up happening, the, the list of golfers that are going to go and do it. Because I think they're going to... Sergio. <laughs> oh, Sergio. Yeah, we saw that, right? He got mad at the tournament. He's like, I can't wait to get out of here. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be that list of golfers that goes and does that. It's going to be interesting because there's definitely going to be some backlash in the United States to, to, to those that go over and do that. Yeah, this was actually last week. It was during a news conference in London to promote the first event that's taking place June 9th through 11th. Uh, the money behind this thing, the LIV Golf Series, offering the richest purses in pro golf history, total prize money for the eight events planned, $255 million. Uh, Norman announced an additional $2 billion investment from the fund to expand the series the next three years. So there's big money. There's no doubt about it. And that's why I'm going to go work on my golf game right after this. <laughs> because you're all right. You're all right accepting the blood money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Billy Hull has made it official, everybody, right here on ESPN Honolulu, that he is okay accepting the blood money as long as he gets paid for them pars. Yeah, seven figures minimum. Let's go. <laughs> Where are you playing Where's the today? contract? Uh, Royal Cunha. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Chats uh, will go low there. Yeah, there you, you go. You can score a little bit over there. All right. Well, good luck to BMAC. I said, what's up? No FOMO over here. I'm not jealous whatsoever. <laughs> uh, thanks to Navai Kalpe for joining us. Thanks to Keegan for operating the board. Billy Hull's out. BMAC will be back tomorrow. See you tomorrow, everybody. Let's talk sports. See you guys.